My wife has just been found dead. Her throat torn out. So you proceeded to fall in the bog, eh? Fall? I was put into the blasted thing, pushed by the most ghastly apparition. Judge Brisson, if you'll answer a few questions, I may be able to save your life. I have the fullest confidence in my own defenses. And I will not trade them for any theories of Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Under the circumstances, I'm helpless to prevent your death. So your revolver on the floor in front of you and raise your hand, Sherlock Holmes. Look out, Watson! everyone and welcome back to the bloody pit i am rod barnett and tonight we return to the world of sherlock holmes at least one particular kind of sherlock holmes joining me as always is beth how you doing dear hello how are you i am fine (laughs) you do not sound like an ai generated thing at all (laughs) and troy hey everybody i hope i do not sound like an ai either uh, I hope you I sound, do not sound like an uh, AI either. <laughs> I hope I sound normal. <laughs> there are no circuits. I am me as. <laughs> Please push the button. <laughs> well, tonight we talk about, I don't know why it's the, how that started off. <laughs> you started it. I may have. It's my, usually when there's a mistake made, it is me. That is for sure. Uh, tonight we discuss the Scarlet Claw the ooh is this the sixth i've lost track oh holy crap i think it's film. the sixth or seventh a sherlock holmes film produced by the uh, universal studios in the 1940s this is a subset of our 1940s universal horror series and uh this is one that is very well regarded it is not my favorite of the run but i do understand why a lot of people call it their favorite and why there's so much love for it but there are nits to pick, and mm-hmm. boy, am I going to like poke at every one of them. So the Scarlet Claw Look released. Nits, he's coming for you. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> they're gonna be there. Uh, released May twenty sixth, nineteen forty four. A taut seventy four minutes. Uh, once again, returning is uh, director Roy William Neal. New screenplay credit here, and I think that the that there's a little bit to that that. Uh, there's uh, there's actually a little bit of uh, extra extra playing around and extra little credits on the on the uh, the screenplay as well, mm. which we actually get to see visually on screen, which is a nice little fun thing. We'll talk about that later. This is one that is technically not based on a Sherlock Holmes original story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, unless you're blind. <laughs> um, yeah. Clearly, this film owes a lot. To the Hound of the Baskervilles. Uh, yeah. Instead of a glowing dog, we got a glowing human being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of, you know, taking place in England on the moors, it takes place in Canada in a. On the moors. Yes, moors, bog, whatever yeah, the hell bog, we're going to call yeah. it. Hey, a, place with, a place with holes for yeah. lots of the fall. <laughs> so, this is a movie that. Uh, I've been, we're finally getting to the ones that I was looking forward to, folks. These are the ones that have a lot of gothic flavor. These are the ones where the horror elements of it start to creep in pretty heavily and definitively. And, best of all, these are the ones where we move almost completely away from the World War II setting 
and try to make it more of a kind of timeless Sherlock Holmes Victorian period mm-hmm. with, strangely mm-hmm. enough, some more mm-hmm. contemporary bits mm-hmm. and pieces here like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, cars and phones. Yeah. Very fun. I love the Never Never Land. It kind of contributes to the Never Never Land <laughs> we get with the Universal Horror uh-huh. Movies regardless, no matter uh-huh. what you do. It's like, right. ah, how did you get here? I flew. Well, <laughs> That's interesting. We just pulled up in a wagon. <laughs> so you got off a plane and into a horse-drawn carriage. Good job. I'm glad that we've confused everyone. Anyway, uh, this is the Scarlet Claw, and this one has a little bit of an early stalker film. It's kind of a slasher in a certain way. This is a... If they had been allowed to get away with it, this would be a pretty bloody movie. There's a lot of descriptions of blood in this movie, and uh, even kind of harsh descriptions of the aftermaths of killings. But, uh, you know, things being what they are in 1944, we can't sling the red stuff around on the screen. Well, I might as well go ahead and mention something right now I was going to bring up at some point, because uh, in the IMDb on this film, you know, it's always kind of fun to read the trivia, and, the, and yep. you know, there's always a section where people put the technical, you know, the goofs, the blunder, you know, blunders up there or whatever, the uh, bloopers. But sometimes, you know, you realize that the people who have access to do this aren't always the best ones to do it because on, on this film, The Scarlet Claw, one of the goofs listed is that it mentions, you know, a woman is killed and, and it says that uh, her throat was ripped out and, and then, but we see her throat and there's not, no ripped throat and not a mark of blood on her. And I'm sitting there thinking, have you ever watched a 40s horror movie? <laughs> there was no ripped throats in any 40s horror movie. They would not be allowed. You know, the Hays no. Code did not allow it. <laughs> yeah, and, and you only see it her in profile yeah. and yeah. when you first see her, she's... Yeah. she's yeah. Yeah. So leaned over, you yeah. couldn't tell if her hat throat had anything with yeah. it wrong yeah. with it yeah. anyway. So, so yeah, it's something thinking. And it's not a it's not a goof. <laughs> it's like it's it's, just, it's, a, it's a it's a forties horror movie. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, the description later on yeah. is that you know it, her her throat was cut so so. Mm-hmm. So deeply that it was mm-hmm. almost severed from her body, and it's like, I'm, you know, that's that's well and good, well, but from the position we're seeing it, we couldn't tell that anyway. So well, it's, yeah, it's not. Yeah. No, it, it couldn't have been because it, later at one point they say she it wasn't severed and she was able to move around for a whole hour and crawl to the bell from wherever she was. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. I, kind so of, she yeah, it, it, she didn't. She wasn't. She didn't die of a thla- of a torn throat she died she by bled out. Ble- bleeding out yeah. over time yep and so she wasn't even killed where mm-hmm. she ended up tolling mm-hmm. the bell right which so. is how this film begins mm-hmm. for the first time we have the opening credits of this film with the creepy fog mm-hmm. really actually kind of leading directly into the first scene mm-hmm. of the movie yeah where yeah. there's just a lot of creepy fog yeah yeah, yeah. It's got a lot of Gwen factor in it. <laughs> heavy duty. Heavy duty. As a matter of yes, fact, it does. Uh, I'll admit. Fog factor. I love my fog There's factor. A, there were a couple of moments. I've watched this movie three times this week, so mm-hmm. I have overwatched this movie mm-hmm. this week. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you this. I was amused when I... Uh, you know you've watched uh, the climax of this film far too many times when you can spot where the fog machine is in the background of the scene when the, the villain is attempting to escape in the foreground. It's, it's like, oh yeah, I've, I've watched this scene too many times. I, there's a fog machine, it's spitting out right over there. I see it over there. Not that you can see the machine, it's just like, fog don't gush out of a tree. So I think I know where the fog machine was. But nevertheless, let's talk about this. Uh, the, per- the poster blurb for the Scarlet Claw was The Red Death Strikes. And let's... Stop for a moment yeah. and think about the fact that this story, this film, t- 
takes place in a mm-hmm. town translated from the French is the Red Death. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, <laughs> that's where I want to move. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the, you think about the fact that what wraps this story into a ball is that three individuals with connections to the murderer ended up moving independently mm-hmm. to this town, a town that should have had a name that warned them, you don't want to be here. This, <laughs> yeah. is not, this is not the place for you. I know you like Canada. Canada's yeah. all well and good, but let's not go there. Yeah, well, and, and for that matter, um, you know, I always like to play around with the titles, you know, and obviously, in this, this one case where I think the Scarlet Claw, you know, is a great title, and yeah. we know the reason why it's called that, but wouldn't the Red Death have been just as good and, and also fit just as well, considering that it's where the, you know... Well, just, I, would, I would think there'd be one reason to not call it that, mm-hmm. which would be... That would that would feel like you were doing a Poe adaptation. Oh, I thought you were yeah. gonna say you feel like about commies. Feel like this is this is true. This is this is free. This is where the commies are our friends at this yeah. point. Yeah. You know, yeah. but, at this point, so, we're yeah. fighting on the same side. Yeah. But the Red yeah. Death sounds like a plague to me. A plague, Red Death. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 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 Whereas the Scarlet Claw, Scarlet Claw is a great title. It is a great title. Yeah. I mean, because boy, does it really get across what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, because you know, rake. This is, strangely enough, and I didn't realize this until after rewatching the film, this is considered one of the favorites of this series by buffs who rate these films. Yeah, apparently it's a very popular one, yeah. And it's, I like it a lot, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. It is not my favorite. I'm going to go ahead and no. tell you now that it's been a while since I've watched the rest of the films in this series. Yeah. But let me, let, let, we will see soon enough whether or not my feelings on this remain to be accurate if I feel this way going back to these movies with a critical eye. But my memory is that my favorite is The House of Fear. Mm, okay. Because it's like got that gothic thing just like this one, just cranked up to 11. Mm-hmm. But I remember liking the story in that one more. Yeah. But i got to admit, having rewatched this one three times this week, there's a part of me that's going, am I misremembering some of the things that I think are in House of Fear mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. actually in this movie? Mm-hmm. Because that whole gothic, foggy, shrouded thing is something Ooh. that I'm remembering yeah. a lot from House of Fear. <laughs> and it's not like that's probably not in that movie, but I can't remember. Um, this is... A fun film, but the best thing to be to, for me about this, I've already kind of alluded to, which is the idea that this is a movie that sheds the contemporaneous setting for the most part. You could honestly watch this movie and, except for something just at the tag end uh, of the movie, yeah, yeah, exactly, where we get a we get a Winston Churchill quote, yeah. to kind of wrap things into a ball. You could be forgiven for not realizing that this takes place during World War II. Mm-hmm. So one starts to think, "Ha! Huh, why is it that I love this period of those of these films?" And it is because they feel more like what I want a Sherlock Holmes story to feel mm-hmm. like. I don't mind him being spy master and you know using his you know, his skills as a disguise master to go behind enemy lines and to. Mm-hmm. To, to get you know weapons of war or to, mm-hmm. to, to rescue people from behind uh, you know the, the Iron Curtain that's all well and good but man what I really want is stuff like this mm-hmm. <laughs> these are the kinds mm-hmm. of stories I want mm-hmm. where there's small there's, village mysteries and exactly yeah. man exactly yeah. Yeah. now oddly enough this film was originally written and then heavily rewritten to be Sherlock Holmes versus Moriarty yeah something right. to those degrees mm-hmm. Uh, that was heavily rewritten, and Moriarty was removed, and then it became Sherlock Holmes in Canada, which seems like a perfectly viable title, especially since the whole movie does take place in Canada. But 
it was the day they started filming when they realized, nope, we're just going to call it the Scarlet Claw. <laughs> and it's like, I think the Scarlet, suddenly I just want to go Clar. Clar. I think the, the Scarlet Claw. <laughs> Scarlet Claw. And it, it does feel, I, I, it does feel to me as if that's the perfect title for the film. But at the same time, as we were saying earlier, this movie is a lot in debt. The story of this is in debt to the to the Hound of the Baskervilles, and one starts to think, was it that they wanted they, they wanted to put it in a different country so that what it didn't feel exactly like <laughs> yeah. the Hound of the Baskervilles, you know? Well, you think about it, you know the, the the film isn't exactly a travelogue for Canada either, you know? I mean, it yeah. doesn't. So it's I mean, it's if you're going to set something and broadcast in the title, you know, like Sherlock Holmes in this country or this country, then you mm-hmm. should. You'd want to get more something that would be more well, the like flavor Canada. of where you're right. at, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah this, this could have been be anywhere. Scotland yeah. or yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like I would think. Yeah. Canada yeah. would look right. They it, yeah. Should have just had a, a mountie ride through. Exactly. It's like a rare, <laughs> just some frozen weird time. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Instead of chasing the guy through the marshes, they're across the frozen tundra. King the Wonder Dog. That's what it's yeah. <laughs> exactly. missing. Well, I do say that it is to to my. If we're going to substitute the the fr- the foggy marshlands of Canada for the the wilds of you know backwoods England. <laughs> Uh, th- th- this does a pretty good job, and and they're helped along a, a little bit more than a little bit, really, by actually having been able to do some location shooting. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff here actually shot out in the real world mm-hmm. instead of completely on sets or fabricated locations. This is a real. There, there's some mm-hmm. real location shooting here that adds to the whole thing, mm-hmm. which is a good idea anytime you can mm-hmm. get away with it. The uh, of course, you know, to some degree, <laughs> there's so much fog in this movie. And so much of the film takes place at night that uh, one, one might ask oneself just right off the top of your head, why did they bother? I mean, <laughs> I'm glad they did. Mm. One, uh, it was a bit shocking to learn what was going to be a 16-day shoot actually turned into a 19-day shoot. For the first time, mm. uh, Neil went over, uh, a little, um, went over by three days. Mm-hmm. And I think that, honestly, visually, it shows. I think he had, uh, he had a team with him at this point that really knew what they were doing. And from what I understand, everybody involved in this film, once they had the script in their hands, kind of knew that they had a tiger yeah, by the tail. Yeah, it's not like they were interested, like they were excited about what they were doing. Yeah, they thought yeah. they had a really good one here. Yeah, they, they, they looked at it and realized, okay, this, one, this one's got everything we need. All we have to do, all we have to do is not screw it up. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're right, because this is a taut, tight little thing it's clever and sharp enough to keep you from thinking about some of the things that I'm going to point out as the movie mm-hmm. goes on, uh, as we talk about the plot. And it really works effectively. At this point, he had a great cameraman, George Robinson, who's amazing in this. He and Neil work yeah. together. I, I, I started to count the last time I went through this film, and then I, I, lost, I got caught up in actually just listening to the, to the dialogue again and paying attention to what was going on, and I, stopped, I lost count. But I was trying to see just how many sequences in the movie, how many different scenes in the movie involve moving the camera around the scene, around mm-hmm. the set. Mm-hmm. And there are very few <laughs> scenes where the camera is not in motion and moving yeah. around and showing you different things yeah. and, and letting the scene play out while the actors continue to do their thing. And it was really kind of surprising because as soon as I realized that, it's like that that is something that could add days to your shooting schedule, don't get me wrong. Because what you're trying to do when you do that is you're trying to keep the audience invested in what's in front of them. In other words, 
you don't you, you don't want to you don't want to risk having an edit someplace that feels artificial if you can keep from doing it. You keep the camera in motion. You keep the 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 actors going, the scene going, mm-hmm. and the audience involved in what you're looking at. Well, that whole opening scene with the when the bell is ringing, that's just a great opening moving yep. camera shot where it goes through the the through that. I I thought the screen they were so motionless that oh, I watched it the for actors? the first time yeah. in a long time, and I thought, "What is wrong with my movie? Why are all <laughs> why are the people frozen?" Because <laughs> the camera's moving across yeah. the room. Exactly. Right. No, yeah. really, I thought yeah. I I thought they were real. I thought they were, they were so still. Yeah, yeah. And they were literally that yeah. still. It uh-huh. wasn't the uh-huh. movie uh-huh. stuck. It was yeah. them being. It's like. <laughs> Yeah, it's like there's something wrong with my movie. I, I, I rented this. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> well, that, well, that would honestly that that's that that's one of the funnier things about it is I love the, the after. Okay, folks, we're gonna spoil this. I'm about to spoil this. Prepare yourself. If you've not seen the Scarlet Claw, stop what you're listening to right this second. Mm-hmm. Go watch it. Spend 74 minutes watching the film mm-hmm. because I'm about to to say one of my favorite things about the movie that you only know after you've already seen the film. The first line of dialogue mm-hmm. in the entire film is said by the killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no way for you to know that. We don't know anything. The movie right. just started. Right. But in retrospect, <laughs> it's one of those amazing things where he's also the first character we see in the movie in motion, saying anything, moving mm-hmm. through all those still people. He comes in, Potts comes in the door mm-hmm. of the inn, mm-hmm. the tavern. Mm-hmm. And walks amongst the tables and goes over and sits mm-hmm. down, and he's the first one to speak because everybody is sitting there listening to the tolling of the and bell in the distance. They are all completely mm-hmm. motionless until yeah. he starts mo- moving, and then they they you know mm-hmm. the heads start <laughs> moving. Uh-huh. And yeah, it was it. Yeah, I love it. This screenplay to me is is it's serviceable. It's not an exceptional screenplay, no. but. There are so many things built into it, like this sequence we're talking about, that are just masterful. And that's I mean, Roy William Neal's name is also on the script. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that as a script writer, he is writing toward the visual. And yeah. that's a good way to be for a filmmaker. Yeah, right. Well, uh, it, when you were talking about the credits, one of the things that I saw was, you know how big I am into Old Town Radio, right? And oh, yeah. Yeah, every every I've there's no old time radio show that I haven't listened mm-hmm. at least if mm-hmm. it still survives I've probably heard at what least one version of it mm-hmm. and um, Stacy Keach Senior yes. gets oh. a credit mm-hmm. on this and I can't remember what he's credited for his dialogue it, dialogue mm-hmm. that's what I, had, I thought yes. and he is the producer and director. Of Tales of the Texas Rangers. Oh, okay. He's listed as dialogue director on this film. Mm-hmm. Okay. He also was a dialogue uh, coach on a best bunch of uh, movies and mm. westerns, but he produced and directed Tales of the Texas Rangers. And that's yeah. a pretty damn yeah. good little show. Yeah. I've just, yeah. I just discovered that and started listening to that a couple of years ago. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Yeah. I did not know that. And yeah. he also, I think, uh, the uh, one of the upcoming Inner Sanctum films, Dead Man's Eyes. Uh, he's uh, he's either in that or he's he may be dialogue director again on that because he did acting too, but he's involved mm-hmm. with that as well. Okay. He's got mm-hmm. that on his uh, which will be coming up later in our series here. So cool. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, father of mm-hmm. uh, James and Stacy. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was like because it, it 
when I'm listening to my different radio programs, I'll, uh-huh. I'll hear Stacy Keach, and it's like, oh, the, what I, what comes into my <laughs> mind is Mike Hammer, yeah. you know, that yeah, Stacy yeah. Keach, and right, I have yeah. to remember, oh, no, it's <laughs> not, uh, well. <laughs> and, and he's not that old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the first time that uh, the director, Neil, received an official writing credit on the series, even though he'd... You know, he'd had his fingers all over the scripts up till now that mm-hmm. he'd been working on with them uh, in, in this series to begin with. Before before we forget this, I would like to say that later on, a little later on in the film, uh, before I don't want to I don't want to miss this because it's such an amusing little thing. When uh, Holmes and Watson arrive at the tavern and take rooms, Sherlock is the one who uh, signs them into the uh, the inn on the book there. Oh yeah, and we get a nice zoom in on the page where he signed his name. And the name right above Holmes is mm-hmm. uh, Tom McKnight, who is a writer who worked without credit on the script for this film too. <laughs> and that's the only na- that's the way he kind of gets credited is they put his from, name on the page he's above from Sherlock America. Holmes. Huh? And he's from America. And he, yes, yeah. and he's yes, exactly. He's from America. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And that's I just like, think that's I just think that's, that's a true. really neat little bit of trivia. You want some trivia? There's some trivia. Yeah. For you. <laughs> that's pretty good. Guy who did not get his credit in uh, on the screenplay officially gets mm. his credit <laughs> in the film right there in front of you, right above Sherlock Holmes. That's awesome. Um, the fun of this movie for me is the atmosphere, which it has mm-hmm. oodles of, mm-hmm. and much less in kind of reveling in one of my f- usual favorite things about a Sherlock Holmes story, which is the detection. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Sherlock is a bit of a doofus in this movie a couple of times. As a matter of fact, there's at least once when I want to throw a rubber brick at the screen mm-hmm. and go, the murderer just ran out the door three feet yeah, behind you. Yeah, that bugs me. That scene does bug me. Yeah. I, I, I... Yeah. I... <laughs> You're talking about nits. Yeah. That's not a nit. That that I, I wanted to bring that one up because some of the things that I'm going to talk about a little bit later on could be thought of as small little irritants. But they that one to yeah. me. But you're the, right. Just the overall I, lack of detection is a problem. Yeah, the overall lack of detection, and then the big the big thing that really kind of gets under my skin, which is which could be. Don't get me wrong. An argument could be made that the fact that Holmes is having so much trouble with this mystery is a credit to the villain. In other words, the villain mm-hmm. is has, has dug in to this this little town so effectively over the past couple of years mm-hmm. to take his to take his vengeance and get away with it. Mm-hmm. That detecting him is incredibly difficult. And had the movie been Sherlock versus Moriarty as it was originally planned, we would accept that a lot mm-hmm. more. That maybe that, so. that, that mm-hmm. we would accept yeah. the villain as much yeah. more as as much more of an equal to Sherlock. Yes. In intellect. But this character we can't, we can't have as a Moriarty because this character right, right. has to remain a mystery to us as the audience yeah, yeah. because that's, this is the only time we're ever going to meet this character. Yeah. So we can't mm-hmm. walk in the door with an, a lot of knowledge about this guy being really, really intelligent and very, very clever mm-hmm. and also having had a couple of years to set his, you know, his scheme in place. Mm-hmm. So things that play better if you think down that road, mm-hmm. which the movie doesn't do a good job of leading you down, Played poorer in the initial analysis, maybe even the second analysis, when you're going, um, so we get to the third act and Holmes is still going, I don't know who the hell it is. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I'm clueless. I have no way of figuring this out other than to pretend to be somebody else and let the killer come in and try to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. And 
I would like, I really, there's several times I've watched this movie and always wanted to like it. And I still don't. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I do mm-hmm. like it, but I can't get away from the things that are probably bugging you as much as they are. Yeah, I, I guess because... Now, you could say this. It makes Sherlock much more human. Agree. I mean, yeah. he comes off as much more human and much more fallible, maybe. But is that what you want from Sherlock Holmes? Yes. I say, and, and, that, and, and that's why... I say to you, I understand why people might like this a whole lot, and but and maybe I am too biased mm. because I don't. I want him to be the most intelligent man in. The yeah, movie. I mean he's pretty much a superhero. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess he is my superhero, sure, and I guess yeah. that's yeah. why I have problems with this mm-hmm. one because it's it. I'm sure we'll get there, but there mm. are. Are things that are kind of like mm, that was too that was too easy. That good. was yeah. you know that was yeah. like a soft pitch. You know, yeah. It's always going to be a little trick with with uh, ex, you know what working. It's easier to work in a, a really short story too. The kind of, most of the short stories too, the predominantly where where Holmes is just kind of dazzling us with a you know lo- connecting and uh, you know all these mm-hmm. disparate things and tying it all together mm-hmm. you know for you. But when yeah. you're stretching that to a movie length, you know then obviously, but you, you kind of hope there's going to be that moment it's going to build to where he's like, and this is what I figured out from all these yeah. different things. And, and, and we didn't get do. any little flashes. We didn't get any of those moments where he's accidentally impressive. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. There are three moments in the movie where I see the Sherlock Holmes that I that I like, the Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes that I prefer, and I'll I'll enumerate them. They're pretty straightforward and obvious. Mm-hmm. I would refer the refer to them as kind of like the three magic moments of deduction that he has in the entire film. Mm-hmm. First is the shirt fragment that the the shirt fragment of the glowing shirt that gets torn off on the tree, and his uh, his deduction, the work that he goes through to figure out. About you know about that type of shirt, who is who's had that type of shirt, and trying to and tracing that shirt type mm-hmm. through the village. Smart move, good stuff. That's Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Two, the the slick dropping of the envelope mm-hmm. to make to to find out what he suspects, which is that uh, the judge isn't actually a cripple. Right. A minor point, but another moment that I love mm-hmm. that is a typical Sherlock Holmes thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Three, the uh, the uh, rattling off of the information he can glean from the half of the photo with this with the autograph on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of the information that he gets from that, from examining that, and he rattles it off one, two, three. Mm-hmm. That once again, that's the Sherlock Holmes that I enjoy. That's the guy mm-hmm. who is smart, figures stuff out, can look at it, explain it, and then use it. For more information as it comes in later on. Mm-hmm. So, but those are the three instances that I can find in the movie where I go, "Yeah, mm-hmm. there's my master detective." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are just as many moments, mm-hmm. if not more, in this movie where I want to go, "What the hell?" Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong; he does seem to be ahead of everybody else in the movie, especially when we get to the Tanner sequence. Mm-hmm. He is not fooled by Tanner. He knows. That the character, the, the limping character mm-hmm. of Tanner, who dives out the window and into the into the into the water, 
during that sequence, you watch his face and he's not fooled. He knows that he's looking at someone who is disguised as someone else. Mm-hmm. He knows it at that point. So, but I don't put that in the in the realm of detect detection. That's mm-hmm. just him mm-hmm. being able to see. That's that's one of the things that I kind of enjoy in one in one way or another about this, which is he's up against someone who is a master of disguise, an yeah. actor who really is good mm-hmm. at altering his physical appearance mm-hmm. well enough mm-hmm. to have two different people in the town that he is portraying yeah. to the entire population. And that is a skill that Sherlock has himself, but this guy mm-hmm. is much better, mm-hmm. but not good enough to fool him with the second disguise, the Tanner disguise he sees through. Mm-hmm. But he never sees through the Potts disguise. He never realizes that Potts yeah. is Ransom, the, yeah. the bad guy, which is all well and good, except that there should have been. There should have been something. There should have been a moment when he put it together. I mean, I'm like, I'm, I agree with you. It shouldn't have been that he just kind of like has to lure the killer out. Yeah. I mean, that's a great final sequence in, in a lot of ways. You know, the way yeah. it's filmed. But yeah, there's. You do wish that there had been the moment when that they had dropped when you know that 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 the killer had dropped a couple of clues that Holmes could could call him out as to who you know that he's the killer while he's still in disguise. Yeah, that Holmes could figure out. Yeah. who he was, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree. That is a problem. Yeah, and one of my things was the rake just the lying. Weeder, the, the weeder? Yeah, the weeder just lying on the detective's desk. I thought that was a little bit of a give-me on, you know, the cop's desk? Yeah. Oh, okay. On the, yeah, when he goes, Sherlock and the cop are talking about the, whatever you want to call him, what the... Lord Penrose, or are you no, 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 the, the 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 actual officer that helps them, the policeman. Oh, the policeman. Yeah, they're in his office, yeah. and yeah. and he's saying, Thompson, I think his name yeah. is. and he's like got the weeder on his desk. Yeah, right. So the weeder is just laying like, there. Like like everyone yeah, has like, one. Like, and that's like, kind of what you start. He does. He does have a good reason for having it. He's got a garden out I, back of the yeah, out, out yeah. back of the station. Yes, but do you think it was just a set? It was yeah, honest, it's, it's, it's a little. It's a little bit softball. I would have much rather maybe. It be worked in some way mm-hmm. instead of just laying there. <laughs> you know, oh look, this must be what they killed everybody. With. Yeah, for for Sherlock, that's a little bit of a softball to me. So, and and I'm sorry, what was Sherlock doing at an occult meeting? Shooting down occult bullshit. He was that sitting, I kind of, that I kind he was of sitting in for Arthur Conan Doyle, right? Because yeah, Doyle, I have to admit, I kind of feel like that was a nod about, to the yeah. fact yeah. that Doyle and was, I just, and Doyle after was a believer. I, yeah. And after, after I thought that, then I thought, well, yeah, ACD would have been there, you know. He, yeah. but he, but he kind of rode the fence. He wasn't always a debunker. Sometimes no, he wasn't. He, That's sometimes really he really believed in mm-hmm. some stuff that was really yeah. crazy. Yeah, he got fooled by the the fairy photos, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. he sure did. Yeah, he yeah, sure he did. did. Yeah, and so, I, but you know, I guess yeah, it kind of makes point. sense that he was there, but at the, on the other side, it just I was like, I really wanted the occult to be a little bit more. I, it it was kind of like a whole red herring. Oh yeah, even the monster is debunked well, really, pro- really. Well, here's the problem with that is because. You know, we talk about how it's obviously inspired, influenced by the Hound of the Baskervilles. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, if you 
if you know the Hound of the Baskervilles and you've seen the movie adaptations, you read the stuff. I mean, it's, it's then I think that I think people familiar with that already uh, are gonna that's gonna already tip you off. That's gonna undermine the whole supernatural aspect already because you're already know like when you see the thing out on the moors, it's like okay, somebody took a phosphorus bath, you know. Here, this is what exactly. we're well. It's not it's only like, that. I mean, I think that the filmmakers were clever enough to make to go out of their way to to mention. The Hound of the Baskervilles as a case. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, they're not trying to hide to, like, it, to, 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 to kind of throw it up there and go, hey, we might be doing something different this time. Mm. The fact that we're going to wave that yeah. that in front well, of you, you know. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, it, it, it seemed the supernaturally, natural pieces, the mystical pieces, at, at points it became a little clumsily referenced. Well, like that, all of these people, like you said, yeah. showing up in the town that's named the Red, Red Death. Death. <laughs> and then also the, the America's ones... America's Vacation Land. Right. The, the, the ones that were going to get killed for some reason having these dark forebodings of their death. But see, the, the, the story does lay all that stuff out, though. And this is something that I, I'm very curious about. I want to ask both of you about whether or not you put this together while watching the film. And it's something that it took me three viewings of the film mm-hmm. in close succession to realize, okay, hold on a second here. We've all forgotten about why these people are having and why the entire village is having this fear. There is this old legend that this guy has been around, has been in town long enough to learn and to start to try to take advantage of and he has started to take advantage of it by killing livestock. Yeah. Hmm. And it is that aspect of things that is giving everybody in town dark forebodings of dread and horror. That's the reason those people are sitting there listening to that bell toll in the very first scene and none of them are wanting to move. None of them are wanting no, to go no, figure out what it is. But because they're all starting to yeah. think, because of things that have been happening for weeks at this point, mm. that this legendary occult death dealer is somehow real, has actually come back. But I think we're talking, but we'd say forebodings, though. I mean, we're, you're talking about the dream. Like, I mean, Janae actually says he yeah. had a dream. Actually, had he said yeah, right. about it, right? You know, right. so it's not just forebodings in the sense and, of just feeling paranoid. I mean, it's like yeah. we're talking about actual, like, visions, or that's not, then you start getting into something that sounds supernatural when you're talking about. True, true. And then know. the judge is mm-hmm. like, got the heebie heebie jake, you know, mm-hmm. shakes, right? You know, much worse than anybody else. It just seemed like they were playing it up. But are you saying the people who were actually the targets of the killers right. were the ones who were actually getting yeah. forebodings, even though they would have really had no idea why they, they would have been targeted. everybody the would have been scared. But yeah. my but my argument being the entire town is getting those feelings and we really only are mm. privy to those characters because those are the mm. ones who are actively under threat. Mm. That would be my way of mm. looking at it. Mm. Because I think everybody in the town to one degree or another is creeped out. Oh I yeah. Mean, everybody feels yeah, like they're under threat. Mm. Yeah, but nobody's not all of them have added double locks to the doors and bars. and We don't know it. that. We're not shown Okay, that. well, <laughs> all right. I'll give you that one. All right, you win. We only got 74 you minutes win, here. Right. You seven, win, We're not even going to go to 75 about, minutes. Well, I was going to say, that's like about 15 minutes more than these films usually get, you know, oh, which no. is another reason why they must have thought they had something good here. Is they're like, give them some extra time. We have, we have 15 minutes. We have 15 extra minutes. I will say this. I will say this. I am a little surprised when I, every time I fire one of 
of these things up. Mm-hmm. I do just in the first minute as the yeah. credits start, I'll just really quickly check the runtime uh-huh. on it because uh-huh. I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't remember, right? Yeah. And I was thinking, eh, hey, probably sixty-five. And when yeah. I saw seventy-four, I went, yeah. oh, epic. Ooh. No, not only epic. <laughs> as soon as as soon as the first scene starts, I was like. Massive amounts of atmosphere. That's where we get that extra ten minutes. <laughs> now, we got it, was ten gr- minutes atmosphere. it was it was beautiful. I mean, all oh, of yeah. it was really prettily shot. This is a gorgeous yeah. movie. Yeah. Talking about it. Oh. Talking about George Robinson, that this being the only Helms film that he did, but you know he did do several oh, yeah. of the monster films. I mean, he yes, did Wolfman and House mm-hmm. of Frankenstein, and you know, so you can see that in there. I mean, mm-hmm. that could easily this could easily be the, the opening of mm-hmm. one of the monster films. Yeah. I yeah. Agree. And the, where did they get these townspeople that the all faces are look, great. Man. Oh my yes. Uh-huh. Well, it's definitely populated by a lot of people who it's funny I was looking at the at the cast, you know, and their histories and thinking like, man, there's there's people here who are topping the 400 list of, of credits and yeah. and and 90% of them are all like no-named characters. They're like villager, you know. Yeah, you exactly. know villager yeah. butler, you they're, know. There is one or two scenes yeah. in like 20 movies in a year. All uncredited, you know, yeah. but it's like but yeah, they surely made livings. Some, <laughs> of, some of them had like 3 or 400 credits to their names, you know. It's like, oh my gosh. But yeah, just they really populated. They just went out and said, find us the most interesting faces in the lot and now in our stock company and bring them in. Well, one of the funny things to me is this is the only, this is the the first movie since Sherlock Holmes in Washington where they could honestly just kind of take 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 a break from having to cast Brits, Scots, and Irishmen, mm-hmm. and they don't. There's yeah, still right, a couple yeah. of them that are in there, <laughs> right. kind of bogging things up and making mm-hmm. you realize that. They, so I guess he's an immigrant from what? Mm-hmm. Where? Where did he? Why did he? Why is he here? Why is he here? And but the 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 pompous lord, the guy who plays the pompous pompous the Penrose, Paul Cavanaugh, yeah, it's like oh man. I really wanted him to be the bad guy because he's <laughs> he he's, looks like a, and he really well, he's a, he's a dick and he's in opposition in the first half of the film mm-hmm. to Sherlock they're like button right. heads yeah yeah but they it just it, it it's a shame that he I am glad that the guy that played the bad guy played the bad guy because he makes a great bad guy yeah. too and he's, and he's an not he's an excellent actor and pulls it off very and, effectively and he's not as obvious well, right. sure whereas does, this yeah. guy is very obvious well, and it, and yeah. and I'm in. And, and therefore, he makes a great red herring yeah, yeah. because you immediately Absolutely. you look at him. And I'm going to tell you, the the butler also makes another one of those actors. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know he's well, who's in like five of these Sherlock Holmes movies yeah. in, yeah. in, in yeah. different little roles uh-huh. like that. Exactly. Oh, by the way, our, Paul Cavanaugh is our Canadian connection because he was a Mountie. Actually, he had in real life he had, oh, he had yeah. been a he had been a he had been a Mountie <laughs> before he became an actor there. So, yeah. Oh, that's wow. great. That's great. <laughs> Lord Penrose. Lord Penrose. Mountie, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that yeah, yeah. no, I know what you mean, but you're right. It's probably almost too obvious because you just dislike yeah. him immediately. Yeah, and, exactly. And, you know, oh yeah, well, like, you know, well, that's just it. I mean, the movie goes out of its way to show how 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 he literally could not he, he could not have killed his wife, and he's in he's in grief. This man yeah. is distraught, and they effectively get that across. But at the same time, you still doubt him. Yeah. Until yeah. you get to the point where, okay, there's no way he's the killer. There's yeah. no way he can't be. One of the things the film does really well, I think, is the way that it builds up really a good group of suspects, none yes. of which are the actual killer. But I think that, you know, that there's some strong besides him, you know, and the butler. You know, you've also got Jernay and you also got... Uh, uh, the Judge Brisson, you know, you've got so, and they're all strong candidates mm-hmm. to be the well, killer. See, and that uh, is one of the strengths of this film yeah. that I don't think gets talked about in, mm-hmm. in much of the analysis that I've read mm-hmm. of this film, which is that the red herrings mm-hmm. that you expect in a film like this, mm-hmm. 
some of the red herrings are actually people who are being targeted by the killer. Mm-hmm. In other words, yeah. they're not just flip, you know, re, you know, characters that are that are superfluous to the story. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. at the heart of it, mm-hmm. and they are still at least two of them are mm-hmm. distinct red herrings and effective ones for a certain stretch of the movie. Mm-hmm. So that's to me. That's good writing. That's clever yeah, mystery is. creeping in, having everything, uh, having everything kind of dovetail to a certain degree. So that when one of those people get off, it's not not just that you go, well, obviously they're not the killer. It's that, no, that's another little clue mm-hmm. about how these people might be connected. And so that, to me, shows some of the stuff in the script that I like. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, credit where credit's due, because yeah. believe me, I have I have questions as we're going to go along. I, th- I think I just wanted it to be a little bit more mystical and stay creepier mm-hmm. longer mm-hmm. i felt like yeah. the monster got debunked really fast yeah because that's been a uh, yeah. this, this, the science versus supernatural is has inspired a lot of later day later period homes stories you know mm-hmm. i mean it's it, that's why we have so many people putting him up against cthulhu and against mm-hmm. dracula and mm-hmm. against all this you know because they always mm-hmm. like to play on that sherlock holmes seems to be the perfect character to you know to not give any credit to you right. know to be yeah. anti-supernatural exactly. in any way and so dropping them into those worlds has been mm-hmm. something that's been very popular in, in uh, for in recent times gentlemen as you know the greatest obstacle in proving the authenticity of the occult lies in finding facts however if the facts are there even the most hardened skeptic provided he has an open mind must finally acknowledge the actual existence of the supernatural you admit that, Mr. Holmes? Facts are always convincing, Lord Penrose. It's the conclusions drawn from facts that are frequently in error. Yes, in the case of the Hound of the Baskervilles, as well as in the adventure of the Sussex Vampire, we found Pardon, that... please. Oh, sorry. Well, gentlemen, this time I have facts. Cold facts. Many years ago, 100 to be exact, an apparition appeared at night in the village now called La Mort Rouge. The following morning, three people were found dead, their throats torn out, hence the town's rather grim name. Interesting, yes. But facts? No. I hardly think the tales of superstitious peasants can be considered... I haven't finished, Mr. Holmes. La Rouge has again been the scene of these strange and unexplainable occurrences. Unexplainable, that is, from your point of view. Several of our most responsible citizens have actually seen the strange apparition on the marshes at night. And next morning, sheep were discovered with their throats torn out and no traces of the killer anywhere to be found. Oh, you've read about it in the papers. Oh, as a matter of fact, I haven't. It was merely a deduction. A rather obvious one, I'm afraid. Deductions are a weakness of mine, as Dr. Watson can tell you. I'm glad that uh, we've already brought up the idea of how beautifully shot the movie is. This is one of the movies that, although it, it does tend to get uh, credited as, as an, early, a, an early example of this, this is clearly a movie that is bringing those German expressionistic images, mm-hmm. some of that stuff starting to creep in, which, you know, mm-hmm. this is far from the first film mm-hmm. uh, in the 40s to start showing that kind of expressionistic stuff. I mean, you started to see it in, in Hollywood in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And this is really bringing that in. But what's more striking to me about the way this movie is shot is how this feels like a, an early and great version of what would become known as the post-war film noir stuff. This is how those movies were shot. Mm-hmm. And this movie is shot just like that. It's a perfect working example. And because the monster is debunked so fast, it becomes straight up 
detective murder yeah, mystery. Yeah. It becomes a murder mystery. Yeah. yeah, and so you know it fits that. It fits the film noir mold mm-hmm. to a T. Yeah. Uh, you. I mean, you. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call Sherlock Holmes, you know, a hard-boiled detective, but in this case, it is murder after murder after murder. I mean, mm-hmm. we're we're watching a serial killer at work in this mm-hmm. movie. Regardless of whether or not there's any blood on the bodies, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, what an odd complaint! Now I do have one complaint. I, I have more than one. But well, no, I. Go this ahead. Is, this is like this is just. If anybody had just gotten up and run to the church, <laughs> if this woman was bleeding out instead of dying from a severely the monster, yeah, <laughs> a severe wound, yeah. she might have lived. Well, I do like this. I love that it's Potts that takes the priest to the church mm-hmm. for the priest to discover the body. body. Mm-hmm. And Potts, at the time, you're just thinking it's because. Because he, he, he says, I, I do need to get this letter to, mm-hmm. well, I think, I, f- I forget where he's taking this letter he's, to. Well, he's taking it to the, the hotel, Pen- right? Where he's, I can't, uh, no, he's talking No, to he's taking it to, 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 is it to Penrose, maybe? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But he's, yeah. the re, the, he when he comes in at the beginning of the film, when he first, mm-hmm. you know, he speaks the first dialogue of the film, it's that he was about to start taking this special letter, this special delivery letter, out to, a, maybe it was... Uh, Lord Penrose. Mm-hmm. What was the and letter? He did, and he, and, what was the letter that he took? That well, that's just it. They don't it's, never. It's 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 incidental. It doesn't matter. They don't tell us. But because he's using the delivery of whatever this may be, whether it actually exists or not, as an excuse to yeah, and, to creep everybody out at the, in the first uh-huh, scene because uh-huh. he, he he claims to have once again seen the glowing the glowing thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is why he turned back. But he's really he really does need to deliver this letter. Mm-hmm. And then when the priest decides, well, I'll you know I'll be the one who mans up and goes to the church and finds out what's happening with the bell, well, and 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 he and uh, it's Potts that drives him out there, but Potts never gets off the wagon. And well, that brilliant, once again, brilliant bit of direction where we're looking from inside the church outside, and we see he never even gets off the wagon. He just says, well, listen, I've really got to deliver this letter. That's him getting the hell out of there. So he's not the one who's even around when the body gets discovered. Yes, and you see that. In hindsight, in hindsight, but not at the time. But when yeah. it's going on, you don't see you that. Think he, you and think he's a coward. You yeah, think well, he's trying well, to get away. it seems like he got scared. He says he saw right. the monster and he backed up and got scared and didn't go. Went to the and then, but the funny thing is, when um, the priest said was, is getting up and getting ready to go, he says the letter can wait while I take you to the dead person. Right. And then when he gets to the church, he says, uh-uh, I gotta go. It, it seems like he's kind of chickening out. Right. Because first he says, let her go wait. And then he runs off and leaves the, the priest. Leaves the priest. But you don't, you don't, hmm. when you get to the end and realize who he is, you realize that that was all. That was calculated. Right. But at the time, it looks like I'm scared. I'm trying to get the hell away from this. I'm interested to see what's going on, but now I'm chickening out again. Yeah. The thought yeah. at the time is, <laughs> there's a possible monster. I'm out of here. <laughs> now, here is my first nit to pick as mm-hmm. we go through this phone. Okay. Where does the priest go for the rest of the damn story? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. He does Very disappear. The he, monster got him. He, <laughs> he evaporates, man. <laughs> there really was a monster. It just wasn't the monster we saw, and that's a different story. <laughs> the priest just 
evaporates from the story. He's gone. Mm-hmm. It's out of here. Yep. And it's not until I was going through it the second time mm-hmm. when I realized, wait just a damn minute. <laughs> yeah. Because at some point later on, somebody mentions the priest again, and I'm thinking to myself, where the hell did he go? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? He yeah. should be. Mm-hmm. He should be part of this. He was the uh-huh. only brave guy in the entire tavern, and he's not even in the rest of the story. Wasn't very brave. You let the girl die. <laughs> well, I mean, I got—I I don't know that it was gonna. I don't think it was gonna. It probably die. wasn't gonna. But you know, I'm. I hear it at the same time. <laughs> so that's my first nit to pick. Uh-huh. Where the hell did the damn priest go? Mister <laughs> <laughs> Journey, what do you know of the death of Lady Penrose? Only what everyone in the village knows, that she was killed by the monster. Have you seen this monster? No, but who else could have done this terrible thing? Sheep have been killed, their throats torn out. You were a jailer at Talon Prison, weren't you? Why, yes, monsieur. Why did you decide to come to La Mar Rouge? Well, I always wanted to own a hotel, and I heard this one was for sale, so I bought it. That was two years ago? Yes. I believe it was about the time the monster made his reappearance, wasn't it? Do you suspect me of being the monster, Mr. Holmes? No, 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 no. I was just remarking a coincidence. I thought you didn't believe in those things, Holmes. Quite right, Watson, I don't. At least, uh, not in the supernatural variety. Not the werewolf who bites into his victim's throat with his teeth. But, uh... A monster who uses for his weapon of death a five-pronged garden weeder... Yes, that's a little more in my line. I... I don't know what you mean. I mean that this monster's been recreated and used as a screen behind which to commit a horrible crime. Whoever did it felt certain that no suspicion could possibly fall on him. But my unexpected arrival upset his plans. Very possibly he became frightened, decided to run away. You're right, monsieur. I was running away. But not for the reason you think, but in fear of my life. And who would want to kill you? I don't know. It's like some terrible premonition. But it's so real. The very word, it's in, in Lady Penrose's letter. Yes. That still doesn't explain this garden weeder. I swear to you, I know nothing about its being here. Haven't we better send for that fellow, Sergeant Thompson? No, Watson, that won't be necessary. Monsieur Journey knows as well as we do that you can't run away from yourself. Oh, uh... Would you be so good as to return this to Sergeant Thompson, monsieur? I took it away quite by accident. All right, I'm going to use a synopsis out of uh, one of my reference books. I have far too many of them. Mm-hmm. England's Secret Weapon, the wartime films of Sherlock Holmes. This is a, this is a, a pretty, pretty nice little uh, summing up of the film in a paragraph or two. And I thought we'd use this. Uh, please feel free to interrupt me at any point with a point of clarification, a query, or a nit to pick. Holmes and Watson are attending an occult society meeting in Canada at which Lord Penrose is reporting on his belief that psychic phenomena are behind a spate of of sheep throat cuttings in his village of La Mar Rouge. While Holmes... Oh, and I I will stop myself to say, uh, by the way, until until somebody points out that what they're saying is La Mar Rouge... I was hearing L'Amour Rouge and going, Red Love? <laughs> Red Love? Is this a Rosebud reference? What are we... Okay, then I, then I... Okay. My confusion was cutting me in half. 
While Holmes is arguing that there must be a rational explanation, Penrose receives a message to say that his wife has been found with her throat cut in the old village church. Holmes correctly identifies the weapon as a heavy garden weeder and tries unsuccessfully to catch out the local innkeeper, Emile Journet, as the killer. On the fog bound, oh, well, let's, let's talk briefly here about the fact that um, we'll get to it in a moment. But Journet is, uh, he has, he runs uh, the, the tavern and the, uh, the, the uh, uh, hotel mm-hmm. attached that uh, Holmes and Watson stay in there in the village, and he has a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my, my memory is she's like 14, 15, something like that. And uh, he's a single father. We never get an indication of exactly what happened to the mother. Uh, but of course, this you know, this being the 1940s, I'm sure she died of you know consumption or mm-hmm. or uh, being run over by a car or who know, who mm-hmm. knows what it might be. So what we have here is um, one character in the film, the daughter character, who we know for sure is not the killer and mm-hmm. has no reason to be a victim when we start to figure out what's going on here. In other words, the people who seem to be picked off are always adults. She's the only child in the story, mm-hmm. and they keep referring to her as a child even though she doesn't seem that young, right. really. Um, she says she's 15. Is it 15? She does? She should? Okay, okay. Oh, thank you. I thought I had that in my head. Mm-hmm. So the uh, what happens to her later on in the film is a standout moment, and it is a moment that shows a level of ex- uh, of escalation of the killer's activities that I think is pretty interesting and does, once again, point to how we've definitely veered away from elements of just a straightforward murder mystery and mm-hmm. into the horror film. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what you think, the murders that are being carried out by the killer in this movie are, in his mind, justified. Mm-hmm. Except the daughter. Right. When she gets murdered, it's as if this weird line has been crossed by both the movie and the character where we're trying to emphasize, hey, nobody's safe. Mm-hmm. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time and she got mowed down. It's a pretty shocking death, actually. It's the most shocking death in the film. Mm-hmm. They won't even show us a, like a glimpse of the body. Mm-hmm. What we all we get is like Watson like lifting mm-hmm. her hand up into yeah. the bottom of the frame. Right. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And we even get in that scene, and I know I've jumped ahead and I'm talking about the details of a scene that we haven't even gotten to. But during that scene, I think it's very striking that we get a, it's it's a moment that plays in a single shot except for one close-up of Rathbone as Holmes when he tells Watson with emotion in his voice to don't don't mm-hmm. don't move the body don't touch mm-hmm. the body mm-hmm. and it's very effective stuff because there's a reason for that for them cutting into the close up on him when he delivers that line because that's the indicator that this one's different mm-hmm. this is the one that shows Holmes that this has this has turned into something else mm-hmm. something this is bigger now and They've got to find this killer. I mean, he's already been hunting frantically, but this is this is much worse than what's been going on before. And all the theories that he's had had in his head, they've kind of all gone out, gone out the window because this killer's now shown themselves to be someone who will mow down someone who's incidental to his purpose. Yeah. 
Um, sorry. I've leaped ahead there. Sorry. <laughs> Once I started down that path, I couldn't stop myself. I apologize. Not even the fog was going to stop me. I was not going to fall into a hole, but I did. I fell into a hole. Help me, Holmes. Um, we'll have the, to have the Watson discuss it. Yeah, let's have Watson. On the fog-bound moor that surrounds the village, Holmes sees a ghostly glowing figure which runs away when he shoots at it. As How many times? <laughs> How many times? I mean, mm. haven't we seen Sherlock actually handle a pistol? Yep. But we've not seen him hit shit. <laughs> no, well, he he's done a V in the wall, so he's pretty good aim. Yeah, but you know, you throw out you you, you throw in moonlight and, and fog and apparently yeah, he can't nobody do that can damn thing. Exactly. Nobody <laughs> can throw that much lead and not hit nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so first bit so, from Beth. Definitely, definitely. Why, glowing, why did why did Holmes gun the killer down right there? Gun gone right into mm. the the what is the the people in Star Wars the troopers? Oh, the stormtroopers. The stormtroopers <laughs> who have laser guns and still can't hit a goddamn thing. Yeah, yeah you, right. you, you keep wait, you keep waiting to learn that all stormtroopers have to have. You know, super thick boots because they mm. keep shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> None of them have twenty twenty vision. <laughs> Those helmets probably don't fit well. Those helmets, helmets actually give them wall eyed vision. Yeah. 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 They have to constantly rotate their head just to get an idea of what's in front of them. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Like damn. Uh, the only evidence left behind after he shot at the glowing man is a piece of phosphorescent cloth, which immediately tells us. There is nothing supernatural going no, on here, which, no. it, to to Beth's point, yeah, yeah I Except understand. they had all had the worst karma in the whole wide world to be all in that town at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk about supernatural, that would, that would fit that category. <laughs> what brought these three people <laughs> to this town with this ominous name to get murderified? Well, with a town name like that and all that fog, it wouldn't surprise me. I just found out that they all, every character in it actually already died. They were in like a, like limbo or something like that. Where like it was just this town existing. Oh, the, in the end of the yeah. the end of the film should be like a close up of the three the three headstones of their graves, and we pull back far enough to realize that it's in a snow globe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's your ending. Yeah, never been done. Let's do that. Let's, let's not let's not quote Winston Churchill. I want that ending. Yeah. Right. I want any ending other than the Winston Churchill quote, to be honest with you, but anyway. Yeah, it, it, it's so man, tacked. it feels so, so tacked. Oh, it is. Big it's time. So, yeah. Well, it, 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 did you That's, notice that they smother what he says at the end? They, yes, he moves his mouth. Well, you know what he's saying? He's saying, yeah. say, God bless him. Oh, I and didn't they, realize they, they that. Like, they, like, smothered that. They they pushed that down in the mix. And they, like, took it <laughs> Why that? It's like, two on the nose, you know. The, the, rest <laughs> just, like, the rest of it sounded so natural. It's just, you know, yeah. but that sounded stilted. Let's listen. Uh, <laughs> oh, and, and, and what, okay, what is with the voiceover well, twice? Yeah, what do you think? Twice. What, yeah, twice is what is that? I wanted, yeah, I wanted was, to bring that up. And myself. whose voice is that? Well, was well, it Rathbone? It's, it's not. It's supposed to be Rathbone the first time. Although it sounds weird. Well, it's not. Well, it's interesting to me about it. I don't know how I feel overall about them even using it. It's other than the fact that, okay, I've never seen that before in a Holmes film. But it's, I, if it, I think it's Rathbone's voice, but it's not lifted from him saying it's a it's a re-recording of the same line. It's right, what he's right. just said to the person. But they instead wanted, of just And they hearing, wanted it, obviously they wanted it to sound different. <clears throat> yeah. Because it's, 
the person who he said the line to recalling it. Yeah. In other words, it's it's the which, way your mind would think of it. Some, which in itself is an interesting way to do it because most right. films would have just taken that same recording and had them hear that in their head. But the fact that they hear or him put an echo it, effect or, on yeah. it or something. <laughs> you know. I, yeah, it's like because I didn't hear it. It's, it's, it's his real voice. Discern. The first time you oh yeah, the first time you you hear yeah. it, you're just like what's what's yeah. happening? Because it does sound very different. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't sound like him. And the second and, time we hear it. Uh, it sounds more like the actor who is yes. hearing it yes. than it does anyone too. else. I know yeah. that too. So, so, so now I'm starting to doubt myself as to whether it was... Mm-hmm. No, maybe it was the actor. In each case, maybe it was the actor just just saying that line, you know, you know, recording yeah, that line themselves. Not. Maybe that's what I... But maybe they're I'm wrong. like yeah. talking about themselves like they are somebody else. Well, every character that does it is a character that I think is supposed to be a prime suspect in our end. Mm-hmm. So I think right. it's well, I think what they're trying to do is make them look even more suspicious because they're, you know, his words are hitting real close to home or something, yeah. but it's a strange. But in, and in each case they are, but not at the time the re- for the reason that you will think. Right. When you yes. look back on what yeah. like what Journey, mm-hmm. you know, thinks about after Holmes mm-hmm. leaves, it pertains directly to him because at that point in time Jornet's thinking of just like getting the hell out of Dodge and abandoning his daughter, his business, his home and everything. And it's that line that he repeats that makes, you know, that that is kind of a, depending on how you read it, is Holmes kind of going, because what he says is basically no matter where you go, you're still you. You can't run away from yourself. And yeah, and it's a good line, but I think, I think they get points for trying to do something different, but I don't think it, it really necessarily worked. I mean, I don't think it was added that much okay. to the scene. Kind of. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you because I do think that the film would be just as effective without yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Holmes identifies the uh, left behind fabric and its owner, but it is part of a shirt given away to a gardener, a man named Tanner. Holmes, Holmes and the local cop tracks down Tanner living in an abandoned building. But when, when he's confronted, Tanner leaps through a window and into a river to escape. Uh, this is that. Uh, th- this is that. Uh, this is the sequence that I uh, enjoy so much because it's the the first time the film is getting us giving us. If you pay attention to Rathbone's performance, is giving us some insight into the the wheels turning behind mm. Holmes's mm-hmm. eyes, where yeah. you're mm-hmm. you're realizing, okay, I'm I'm not on the same level as Holmes. Holmes is at least a half step ahead of me mm-hmm. as the audience. He's mm-hmm. he's he knew this guy was in disguise already. He had his mm-hmm. suspicions. Uh, Holmes discovers that Tanner is a pseudonym for an actor, Alastair Ramsom, who was convicted of the murder of a fellow actor, but who but who had escaped from prison. Um, Lady Penrose turns out was an actress before her marriage. Ransom had been in love with her, but she had spurned him. He had clearly come to La Moire Rouge to exact revenge. Now, let's ask the question. We've already made made jokes about the fact <laughs> that these three people moved to this town yeah. and just lined themselves up for the slaughter. <laughs> but is it more likely that no matter what was going on, Ransom was going Ransom was going to come to this town because the actress was there? In other words, She's the first human victim, and his statement at the end of the film, when he's caught out finally, is that he killed her because he couldn't stand the thought of someone else having her. Mm-hmm. She's the prime target. She's, She's the, the prime target, and it's almost like these other people are just 
like bonuses. <laughs> these yeah. are these are people that I get, and I'll be damned. They're here. They're in the same yeah. town. Line them up. You know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to. to, to You're like, trying to sell me. I'm trying to sell it. If they had, I'm trying. If they'd made this a bigger town, and this was actually, if they'd made this actually the the. If this had happened, if like it had been Quebec, thing. yeah, it, and if it had been in a real or you know a real town like a big city, yeah. it would yes. work there. No. But then you don't get the creepy small no, no, town. I agree. Yeah, you know. I, I got a question though. Let's hear it. At this point, where they go to seek out Tanner, yeah. This guy already knows Sherlock's there. And investigating, why does he even bother to go back and assume that tenor disguise? Wasn't why didn't he just burn that and move on? I got a better question for you. What? The defining characteristics, well, the defining characteristics of Tanner as a character is that he was a gardener, he had a scar on his face, mm-hmm. a beard, and a limp. Mm-hmm. But we know the actor. Doesn't have a limp. limp. So why is he limping when he has no reason to believe that there's anybody around to hear him limp? Yeah. There's my next nit right there. He's method, man. He's method. He's method. Once he's he's in the sleeping character, man. Once he's Tanner, he's Tanner. (laughs) But, you know, I don't understand that because you got to know that Sherlock's got, you know. Well, I think it's obvious that the t- it's his his idea. I, 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 this one I, I think I can answer. Good. I think because remember it's where Tanner it's where Tanner's staying quote unquote living uh-huh. where they where they find the phosphorescent clothing right right. So clearly, our our killer is using the Tanner care uh, the, the the Tanner fake identity uh-huh. to be the fall guy if these phosphor if the glowing man is discovered. In other words. He's. It will be. He, he obviously disguises himself as Tanner when he does the phosphorescent stuff, so that if he gets seen mm-hmm. clearly enough, mm-hmm. it will be seen. He will be seen as Tanner and not as Potts. That makes sense. But he knows everybody knows why where he lives. But they have no mm-hmm. reason to seek him out. Remember, I mean, he's just some guy. The only reason that Holmes wants to seek him out is because he's traced this shirt. Once again, one of the few pieces of actual detective work in the entire damn story mm-hmm. <laughs> leads him to Tanner. Exactly. So, yeah. Okay. Let's give a little nod to Jack Pierce too, you know, because uh, oh, because God, I yeah. could not see the I could not see Potts the Postman beneath that Tanner makeup. I thought yeah. that was pretty good. Pretty mm-hmm. good oh, there. Yeah. Let, let's let's yeah. talk about John Fulton. John Fulton with the and the glowing effect. Yes, too. I love that effect. Good I guess it's the same thing he used in uh, was it uh, the Cheney uh, was it the Man Made Monster? Man Made Monster with, yeah. the, with the electricity. Mm-hmm. I think the, it was the same. Yeah, I have. You know, I had no problem with the photography or special yeah, effects yeah. or the makeup. Because mm-hmm. no, you he looked completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, even when he was temporarily. The one of only two female characters. This one I have. <laughs> well, let's see. Fair, fair point. That's, well, there were three, but we never even hear dialogue from the first one. She's dead the minute we see her. So yeah. So I'll I, I'll just use that point right now to say like uh, I want to point out uh, my joy at seeing um, uh, the actress that played played the maid. You know, played Nora, Nora the judge's maid, uh, uh, um, Victoria Horn. Victoria Horn. Yeah, she's from, oh. from Harvey. Well, that's what I learned from. She's my yeah, yeah. one of my favorite comedies. And Har- Harvey, she's hilarious in that. So. She, he's, she's also the uh, Oriental woman in the serial. Uh, 
Which, which cereal? The cereal, oh, where the island is neutral. Remember that one, the neutral island? Oh, my goodness. And, the one we watched it just last year. The, um, she's the Oriental woman. I know, that, yeah. And she's, she's working the, uh, with the she's Nazis. The, she's the villainous one, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah she's the villainous one. Because like I said, I yeah. always enjoyed it. It was good, and she's, yeah. she's good, but that, yeah. yeah. It's not one of the best cereals ever, but there's some good stuff in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Gosh, yeah. why can't why can't I think of the name of it? That's terrible. I can't either, but it's a spy thing. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember. So you're you're saying that Pots the Postman didn't make a convincing maid? Is that what you're is that what you're saying? In that? <laughs> I don't well, know. They kept they kept his face in shadow. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. They 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 fool us. It is actually Victoria Horn who comes to the who's, window. Who's who's, yeah. who's closing right. the shutters? Right. Yeah. But then when we get to the when when mm. we get to when the the murder happens of the judge, mm. it's it, they they're keeping the from the neck up. They're keeping mm. the actor yeah. in shadow. Right. Until right. and it's not until he starts to kill him and he's in profile that you can look and see. Oh shit, that's a man. Okay, yeah. wait a minute. Yeah. But you're Right, that sequence does have we talked about earlier, but that does have one of the big eye rolling moments in the in the mm-hmm. in the movie when Holmes comes to the door and it yeah. oh, the door and the, and, and, and then, the killer yeah. just sort of I'm slipping right by you. Don't exactly. see me. He's like, oh, and then he's oh, looking yeah. for Nora. It's, it's like, like wow. Well, Nora just went by you, dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> before, yeah. It's a, yeah. Before it's before we move off me. of uh, yeah. Virginia Horn, there's this great quote in here. Uh, 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 she says that the Sherlock Holmes pictures were a joy to do. It was like working at a stock company. All the actors knew each other and worked so well together. Mr. Hammer and I both shared that darkly lighted scene. Uh, I remember that the actor playing Potts. Mm-hmm. I remember admiring the great strength of Basil Rathbone when he lifted me up off the floor of the closet so easily. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. I don't even think about it because when you watch it on yeah. screen, yeah, it's effortless. Yeah, and she's a tall woman. Yeah. yeah, and you just think about it. You think about yeah. her. It's only her yeah. mentioning it that you're like, oh, yeah. yeah, he didn't even look like he's straining. Yeah. He's like, yeah. there's nothing going uh-huh. on here. Yeah, I okay. think he worked out a little bit. Sure. I think he was a strong guy. He was a, he was a fencer and an athlete. So, yeah. 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 Okay, so um, uh, Lady Penrose was an actress before her marriage. Ransom had been in love with her, but she'd spurned him. He had clearly come to Lamour Rouge to exact revenge. Tanner was probably just one of many disguises, and therefore he could be almost anyone in the village. Others are under threat. Judge Brisson, who was responsible for sentencing Ramson, is murdered, and that's the scene we were just talking about. And the killer goes out onto the moor looking for Journay, who was his prison guard. See, like I said, really it's only the two people that moved to the town. Mm. It's not three, so we're kind of, you know... it's The movie's trying to make itself a little bit more believable in its, in its weird circumstances. Obviously, you're not convinced. Ooh. Yeah, she's, 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 she's not... Uh, for those of you at home, she's, she's shaking she's her head and she has a look on her face as if she just smelled a fart. She's giving us her best Dana Scully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and it is this scene where uh, Holmes realizes that the judge is under is, is under threat, directly under threat, mm-hmm. and rushes to his home just in time to, you know, hear the hear the murder take place. Mm-hmm. And then the murderer slides right opens the door. <laughs> opens the door. And then as Holmes rushes in, slides right out and away. And that is that is the moment that almost makes me want to slap this film. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, what do you... No! No! You know how you do this? Here's what you do. You have Sherlock Holmes break the door yeah, down. Right. And you do not see how the killer escapes the house. Because you know why? You don't need to. Point you don't need to! Right. There are it's multiple exits from a house! 
You're right. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> but don't get me wrong. I get it. Roy William Neal, I understand. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. It, it really is exciting to see the obvious killer sliding out behind just a few feet away from our main character, Sherlock Holmes. But it makes Sherlock Holmes look like a doofus. Mm-hmm. He's a doofus. <laughs> There's a bigger doofus, but we'll talk about that later. Well, okay. Well, let's, 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 let's discuss. We, 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 we've, we've not talked about the Watson Wait, let me, let, me, let me ask you this one. I'll let you, I'll let you explain away and, and convince me of another little piece. Here. Okay, while, okay. While, while, you're, while you're hunting. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm working at it. Why are you trying to sell me this? <laughs> Why? Why does... Ransom. That's his name, Ransom. It's, it's Ransom. I keep I keep Ransom. saying Ransom, but it's R A M S O N, and I keep pronouncing it Ransom. both ways. Ransom. Ransom. Yes. Why Why does he warn her? Why does he bother to tear up the picture and send that to her as a warning? Well, I don't think he's a rational man, as far as she's concerned. I think yeah. he's. I mean, he's. It's the it's the irrational desire to kill that which you can't possess. So I think. That that to me is the the indicator that we really are dealing with a crazy person. I mean, he's he's an intelligent, talented, crazy person, but he's nuts. So that that's that's all that says to me is that I mean, it's like, well, here's here's the thing. Why else would he have kept the bottom part of that photograph? But how, when did she get that? Why didn't she just tell somebody? Hey, she did. She wrote to Sherlock Holmes, and it but was too she late. She didn't say his name. In, in practical, well, in script terms, we have to have a way for Sherlock Holmes to get a hold of that name, you know. Yeah. So there has to be something yeah, with agreed. his name on it. So that's why they came up with, concoct the idea of a yeah. signed photo, yeah. Yeah. you know, that, but, but, but it's a little, yeah. it's, it's you My know, boyfriend, so. Alistair, is yeah. trying to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> the person who I think yeah. might My be ex. a little yeah. unhinged. <laughs> My ex. Yeah. <laughs> you know, see, in the, in the story, in the stories. If you find me yeah. murdered. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. No. In the story, she would have like made it in like a, a puzzle or there, and she would have been in the letter. Then Holmes would have had to have you know, it's a you know, Sorry. oh, it's a okay, cipher. Sorry. Oh, it's there, you right. I mean, there you go. There you go. Just my last. No, no, no. I mean, that's I get believe you. me. I get it. There are there are things. I had not to, even thought of that question, but it's a good <laughs> question. Yeah. But she, I mean, you're right. I mean, I honestly, I think that it it does point to his state of mind. Let's just put it that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, okay, <laughs> but you know, to but to answer the question, to most most obviously, why she didn't mention the guy's name in the letter, to Sherlock? Hey, we gotta have a movie here. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <All> right. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it in mind. <laughs> That's okay. how they wrote it. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Cause they wanted it that way. <laughs> they didn't have that actor for another day, and they had to off him. <laughs> So the judge gets killed, and the killer goes out on the moor looking for Journey. Um, Journey was the prison guard. It is then that his identity in La Morte Rouge, that of Potts the Postman, is revealed. He takes the claw from his pocket, ready to attack Journey, and is actually, and of course, Journey turns out to be Holmes in disguise because Holmes couldn't figure out who the damn killer was. Uh And had to set himself up as someone to be attacked by the killer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's a part of me that's like, re- recently watched a, 
a pretty good Michael Mann film. I'm going to have to rewatch it to 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 think about whether or not you know how high I'm going to rate it overall in Michael Mann's films. It's called Black Hat, and there comes a point at which the main character realizes that he is going to have to confront and be physically near people who are murderers, mm-hmm. and he takes he, he tapes magazines to his body and then wears clothing over that. He essentially layers himself with because he knows that the chances are good that he might get stabbed. Mm. And that if he does mm. this, at least it can mitigate some of the damage and help him to survive this. Mm-hmm. I hope that Holmes at least thought that part of it. <laughs> Surely, I hope to God he was thinking, you know, I'm going to wear some thick clothing, maybe some chain mail. What do we got? Because I might get jumped out of a tree. Okay? It's like uh, the, the hardware distributor came by and just dumped dozens of these identical garden rakes <laughs> on this small community because <clears throat> you know they're just popping up all over the damn blue well they're super common <laughs> and apparently they're just everywhere I mean I, they, they started using them to build fences as far as I can tell <laughs> uh, uh, well uh, Holmes is then able to uh, to uh, uh, confront our killer pots who's actually Ramson and uh, summons the waiting police because he has been he has had the he I love this this is this is one of those times when uh, Holmes is definitely not bluffing when he says uh, you're really not going to get it very far because mm. all around you yeah. are the police and mm. volunteers yeah. this is not going to go well <laughs> and the killer still runs off and out of the fog out of behind every freaking yeah. tree and bush comes somebody from the village going there's that motherfucker. And by the way, he runs into a fog that definitely on my meter, my fog meter tips the pushes the scale to the all the way past the ten. That that, that that fog bank he runs into. Well, there. this is this is this is the instance I was talking about earlier when I said I'm pretty sure the fog machine is right behind that tree. Over there yeah, because it's just gushing out of there. Either that fog has got a serious digestion problem, or there's a fog machine. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is another. Hmm. This is just a. I mean, I. You know, it's a it's a it's a stalk and chase sequence, mm-hmm. but my God, it's so well photographed. It's just the, the thing that I uh, you can forgive a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the w- w- walking through the film uh, again, one of the things that I noticed is that by this time, Journey, who is ready to kill somebody because mm-hmm. this is his daughter has been yeah. discovered dead. Yeah, he's he's re- he has outright stated that if he gets the chance, he's going to kill this person. Mm-hmm. And Holmes has, has said to him, look, don't try to take the law into your own hands. Mm-hmm. But the movie beautifully puts together sequences in this chase through the fog where Journey is walking from the right side of the screen toward the left and Potts, or, Rans- or Ransom, is walking from the left side of the screen toward the right mm-hmm. until they converge in the fog and yeah. the, they go at, each, go at it hammering claw <laughs> uh, and, I, and I love that he's like that uh, Jornet's dunking his head under uh, under that pool of water I mean yeah. it, it it feels as violent as they could get away with yeah. in a mm-hmm. film of this type in 1944 mm-hmm. it, it pays off effectively yeah so overall with this film We'll, we'll we'll ignore the the Winston Churchill anomaly at the end. Uh, oh, oh, we did leave, we did leave out this this did not point out that uh, they do once again pull another little thing there near the end to kind of try to fool whoever the killer is mm-hmm. by announcing to everyone in the tavern 
that Holmes and Watson are leaving. They you know, mm, they're going they're mm. going back to London. It's a damn shame that you can't solve every crime because mm. they're trying to throw the killer off off the track before he disguises himself as Journey. That's another thing that really kind of feels just right out of Hound of the Baskervilles, mm. where the idea is to pretend that the people investigating these these crimes have had to like go back to London, yeah. like what happens that's in true. Hound of the Baskervilles. I think I think that's another interesting little point where it's where it's uh, you know using the source using the source material and not and not going out of your way to hide it, but using it pretty effectively. It, it works here as well because it perfectly perfectly encapsulates what you would try to do to, to convince as many people as possible mm-hmm. that there's a little less danger being caught now before you end up being murdered by the guy mm-hmm. whose daughter you killed. <laughs> so, because trust me, he's unhappy with you. Yeah. yeah. So overall, this is considered one of the one of the favorites of the entire run of these movies. I like it a lot. Don't get me wrong. I have complained a lot about it. I pointed out a number of things that I think are a little... It's not mine. Much, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beth, Beth has hit has refused. Uh, well, she's go, she's not going to hide her feelings about it anymore. People, she's going to be honest now. <laughs> Let's talk about some uh, some other nits. Um, besides Holmes being incompetent in this thing, which drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. How do you how do we feel about Watson in the film? <laughs> I could say that, yeah, you go and vent. You go and vent because I, I suspect that you you may have more may be a little more on the negative side than than, than, than I am. I'm sort of in the middle of the road on oh, this, but you go ahead and say what you. God, <laughs> did he have a brain tumor before he got to this point? I he's he's even. Oh, I just. I like Nigel. I really do. I love Nigel Bruce. I, my, Nigel Bruce as Watson in the radio series uh-huh. is freaking great. Right. And but oh my god, he he just is completely on meds the whole <laughs> time, and then he gets drunk, which doesn't help the situation. True. Um, now, although. I have to say, of all the bumbling, at least when he's drunk, there's an excuse, there's an excuse yeah. and it's kind of funny, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. does make a pretty... And the, scene, and the scene is well played. Yeah. And it's well played with the character of Potts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I thought, you know, that's another neat little mm-hmm. detail I like mm-hmm. in this movie, which is mm-hmm. the person he's really getting drunk with there turns out to be the killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so yeah, he doesn't know it. It's a little bit more serious than... You know, it's taken, but we don't know that until a little until bit later. After the fact, yeah. But yeah, the whole, the whole time when he, the first when he, playing with the gun and, you know, prairie chickens. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and you know, oh god, and then falling in the hole the first time. Yeah, the falling in the hole thing bugged me a lot. Yeah. I thought that was pretty damn just yeah. kind of useless and just a needless bit of Watson bumbling there. Well, yeah. but here's the thing: he also. Like, he falls down the stairs, but that's the only fall in the film that I think works. Yeah, see, I didn't because mind that's, down that, that's not him being bumbling. The freaking stair crumbles completely under him. Yeah, because yeah. it's already said as a yeah. That didn't bother me. No, no, and, yeah. and he but was that. actually going to Holmes' rescue, and I'm yeah. and I like that part. Every once in a while, they actually like let Nigel get mad mm-hmm. and 
you know, be... Well, I liked where he got mad at Jernay for smacking right. the kid. I mean, you, you right. see that side yeah. of Watson exactly. you really like. Exactly. Yeah, and, it's, yeah. Yeah. and then the, the character the shows his anger yeah. right. like, before before he can even stop himself. He's yeah. pissed yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the loyal, you know, protector of his friend, yeah. uh, that's what... that's. That's the one, the part I like. But yeah. when he, you know, is bumbling around and, you know, and then falling in the hole and then falling in the hole again, yeah. and you know, he's when he goes in the hotel and he's, you know, hollering for somebody and I don't know the whole thing. It's just. Yeah. Ugh. The thing with the gun didn't bother me because I thought it was a nice bit of misdirection because to me it didn't go as far as I was afraid it was going to. The minute you see him picking up the gun yeah. around there and, and you got the tea kettle going there, you're just sure the tea kettle is going to go off and it's going to startle him into firing the gun, blowing yeah. a hole in the ceiling or something. <laughs> I mean, you expect it to go that route. Yeah. The yeah. fact that nothing ever really happens with that, I thought that was actually kind of a nice little setup or just, you know, where you see him doing all this bit of business that doesn't really go anywhere. It was it didn't mm-hmm. go as bad because I was just another thing like, okay, mm-hmm. the gun's gonna go off and you yeah. know, he's gonna look like an idiot and, you know. <laughs> but but I, yeah, Mo from the, he didn't I, I didn't get as annoyed with overall with, with uh, I mean even in the scene where he does go in the tavern, like where where Holmes tells him to be inconspicuous, knowing full well he's gonna be the exact opposite. I thought that was kind of because that's kind of the charming side of Watson is, you yeah. know, is he wants to help and he wants to, but but you just know Watson can't be anything but conspicuous yeah. ahead of time. So you're already prepared for it. So I thought that all that sequence was pretty good. So yeah, because Holmes is, go- yeah. Holmes is using him mm-hmm. in a way that he knows mm-hmm. he will act. He knows how he will act. So yeah. he's using that to his to his uh, benefit. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I and I appreciate that. I, pre- I appreciate I appreciate it. English is nice. Mm-hmm. I appreciated <laughs> that line, you mm-hmm. know, because that's just natural. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. You know, yeah. He's just boisterous, and and that is fine. It's just mm-hmm. that when it, he gets over bumbling, mm-hmm. and he you yeah. know that irritates me because he's he's smart mm-hmm. and he's supposed to be yeah he's a doctor. Well, we that's just it. We've discussed this multiple times. My vision of Watson always comes from the page. Mm-hmm. He is don't get me wrong mm-hmm. a bulldog. Mm-hmm. He was a soldier. But the other side of him is that he is also an incredibly compassionate, mm-hmm. passionate man. Yeah. He is a good man mm-hmm. who with strong emotions mm-hmm. and will chew your face off mm-hmm. if you get on the wrong side and of him. I can see it's totally okay with me for Watson to get fooled because he is so trustworthy that he, right. anybody can make him. He's trusting. And so he, that, I don't, if it was bumbling where he did something because he trusted somebody by accident, that would be one thing. But, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, they, they took, and this is not just this film, this is this entire series of films and their portrayal of Watson. And I'm far from the first one to say this. They decided that what they needed was a comic character in the film to break tension. Yeah. And so they turn Watson into a bumbler. They turn mm-hmm. him into mm-hmm. a comic figure mm-hmm. that can that they can use in those terms. And it and it twists the character in a way that we are when we're needing to trust him to be the version of the character that I that is on the page, that compassionate bulldog mm-hmm. essentially, it it becomes difficult. Sometimes the the switching back and forth 
mm-hmm. between somebody who will fall in a freaking hole. Yeah. It's like, yes, falling down that staircase because the staircase staircase broke and crumbled under him, well, perfectly acceptable. Yeah. And certainly his actions after he falls down there, which is to get right back up and head right back up that staircase. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's Watson. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. him. But the guy who's going to fall in a freaking hole. <laughs> twice. Yeah. Twice. And just stay there. Yeah. Yeah. Not be able to get it. It's like, oh, how can I get myself out of here? Well, I don't know. It's shoulder level. Pull yourself out, dude. <laughs> the, I can make myself accept the Watson in these films because Nigel Bruce is an incredibly char- charismatic mm-hmm. actor He's on so screen. so versatile. Yeah. I yeah. love him. The fact that he can do all that and then do the other things is right. is mm-hmm. pretty impressive. Yeah. I just don't... Mm-hmm. So, sometimes I think they take it a little bit mm-hmm. too much. But, I agree. Uh, but I've been watching the... Uh, no, the Jeremy Brett Granada series. The Jeremy Brett. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that Watson, oh, to me, oh, of is course. like yeah. one of the... Well, he's, he's right off the page. Yeah. Well, they got yeah. what... They got what the you know the 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 earlier filmmakers didn't get. It, I mean, they were able to convey. You know, they understood that Watson, like you said, like you were talking about, with it's really heart. It's really the dichotomy between Watson and Holmes is heart versus mind. You know, yes. mm-hmm. one's ruled more by his heart. He's intelligent, but ruled more, more mm-hmm. by his heart. The other one is is just is is so is sometimes so brainy that it's hard for his heart to to come out. In it's hard for him to even so, relate to people. Yeah, and that's and that's what they got perfectly. In the in the uh, J- Jeremy Brett mm-hmm. and uh, first David Burke and then uh, um, uh, um, uh, oh, Hardwick, uh, Hardwick uh, Edward yes, Hardwick Edward yeah. Hardwick uh, that they got so perfectly in that is is mm-hmm. not saying we need to get yeah because right because on the page you know Watson is so much of a chronicler of what Holmes is doing so when they're trying to do film versions they're okay we got to have Watson's got Watson got to be more interactive. The, yeah, the guy. in this movie series we're covering here, their idea of making more interactive was to make him the comic relief, which in some cases at least spares us from there being other comic relief bought into the That's film. True. At, I'll least, at least it leaves us from really having have to that. say like, oh, yeah. we gotta have okay, well, we gotta yeah. who wears another comic relief okay. character? Well, there there is a part of me, and I have played with this idea before, and it's not something I've run across anybody else putting forth. But to my mind, they might have almost been better off. If maybe the the occasional comic relief character was not if they didn't mm. default to Watson, but they was not they de- Watson, yeah. but they de- but they defaulted to I don't know maybe one of the Baker Street Irregulars well, something like say, that. Well, in some of the films we've covered, it's they they have uh, made uh, uh, Lestrade, Lestrade the comic relief mm-hmm. made him even more of a comic relief character. Right. That mm-hmm. Watson appears more, you know, more together than Lestrade sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So there was times they tried yeah. that with him because but, I don't feel like Watson should be so humble to Holmes. He's known him long enough mm-hmm. that it's okay for him to to say, you know, shut up, asshole. You know, but, you know, in an mm-hmm. English dialect. <laughs> well, I so, mean, there is but, at least one point in this film uh, when they're uh, knocking knocking on a door to go into to someplace where Holmes, once again, very much, very much like we were talking about in a previous one of these films, uh, just, you know, outright, you know, insults Watson... To his face, but in a way that Watson's not completely sure if he's mm-hmm. been insulted or not. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's just the two of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, so I guess, you know, I guess at least that's better. He's not doing it in front of an audience. He's not doing it in front of somebody who well, can suddenly like go, wow, okay, so this guy really doesn't respect this dude that he spends all of his fucking time with. So. Well, you can make the argument that they know each other so well that maybe yeah, that's that why Watson's that. just not mm-hmm. offended by it anymore because he knows yeah. all the way. But what I did like in this film, there's a couple of times when someone refers to Watson as Holmes' assistant and Watson does get indignant over yeah, that. And that I thought was pretty cool. His assistant. Yeah, I like yeah. that actually. Yeah, that's true. That and that, cool. is, that is a good moment. You're right. I'm glad you brought <laughs> yeah. that up. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it's, you know, immediately after he's fallen in a hole. Exactly. So it's like... You would like to point that part out to (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, you're not his assistant because you're not competent enough to be his assistant. (laughs) Sitting there with your feet in a bucket. (laughs) Well, like I say, I I can't get away from the fact that we were over... This is a 74-minute long film. We're over an hour into the movie and Holmes still don't know who the damn killer is. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well... So many of these movies, Holmes has figured out who the killer is, but he's just trying to trap the person. Just a matter of trapping, yeah. And in this... No, no, I'm, I'm going to have to lay myself out there as bait, you know. <laughs> well, to tell you the truth, I mean, all these people being in the same place with mm. such karma, <laughs> who would figure it out? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, how did the murderer get them, murderer get them all in one place? Well, they sent out a telegram and say, hey, we're having a party. Um, <laughs> one last nit to pick. Um, and th- this one, uh, this one is one that only on third viewing did it occur to me to go, "Hey, wait a minute," mm-hmm. <laughs> which is quite simply, uh, we're in Canada. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that the cops that they've called in at the end of the film to catch the murderer seem to have come from London? <laughs> They're bobbies. They're bobbies. I did not notice. Complete that. with the hats. I did not even notice that. Wow! It took one walking across <laughs> the screen in that hat for me to go, mm-hmm. "Hey, wait, wait a minute." Hey. We're out in the middle of nowhere, Canada. They don't hey. wear. They don't. They, if 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 they had had a Mountie at that point, I was point, just going to say, and what would nothing would have made you yeah. happier with your uh, love of the Mounties, Mounties, if they just, just had Mounties out yeah. there, you know, with dogs and everything. Sick the dogs and exactly. Know, yeah, we, you know, where's we, Sergeant Preston? Yeah, ex- Sergeant mm-hmm. Preston walking across the screen to apprehend the murderer. Yeah. This is what we need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. Or say, a dog just coming out of the fog and yeah, tackling yeah. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. What was the guy's? What was the dog's name that was killing everybody in our Canadian Mountie? Oh my goodness! It wasn't King. Um, King King was King's the good dog. King Sergeant Preston's dog. <laughs> no, but he like he was. Just, it may have been, but every time and everyone he's like taking somebody out. <laughs> oh God! It was that series of Mountie movies. It's not. It's not the Sergeant Preston stuff, but I know what you're talking about because the the the. Uh, the dog character. It's like we honestly we watched every film, mm-hmm. just going. Well, we'll enjoy the film. It's it'll, it'll be a nice little B programmer mm-hmm. adventure film, which is cool. But what we're really waiting for is to see how many how many characters the dog kills. <laughs> <laughs> the dog I mean, kill count. I mean, that, I mean, seriously, we went through like there are like six or seven of those movies, and we started watching them. And by the third one, we realized. Okay, how many times? How many? How many people is the dog gonna kill in this one? Because this, he's the hero dog. He's a, yeah, but he just. But apparently, he doesn't. He doesn't have the Batman code of not taking, no. taking him alive. You know, like, like, they'll, they'll, they'll like, like hide it. They'll like have him tackle somebody off a rock, off a boulder, and and, and you could just hear what's going on behind the boulder as the as the mounting runs up and like pulls the dog off of him. It's like I think he took part of that dude with him. <laughs> the guy's dead. So you're saying the dog develops a taste for human flesh over the, over the course of this series? There. Oh man. I wish I now can't remember the name of that series of series of Mountie movies, but yeah, you're right. It's like uh, uh, I'll eventually love watching those movies again. Going, ah, time to watch that dog kill those people. And every one of them deserves it. Kill them dead. Oh, and, and there, there was one of them where the the dog was at the in the front of the canoe, and as they came up to the shore, the dog like leapt off. And I I think you or I or both of us at the same time went. 
oh, hell must be a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> must be a bad guy on shore because so he is ready him. to go. So he's going to kill him and can't even wait for the boat to land. He's just kind of... <laughs> blood. Must have blood. Well, one blood what, tastes what, the best. Yeah, really. It, it's, it's always villain blood. Of course, yeah. it's, it's like ketchup. <laughs> well, uh, one thing that I want to point out is that uh, it was uh, in reading a good bit about this film that made me realize that uh, they may have pulled a lot of the story and the way they structure this thing from a from an earlier film from a 1937 film called London by Night which starred Leo G. Carroll yes that Leo G. Mm-hmm. Carroll the guy yeah. who was eventually the boss on The yeah. Man from Uncle and right. you've seen him in a bazillion freaking uh-huh. movies over the years cool. uh, Leo G. Car- Car- Carroll was a killer and the story is very similar to the one they concocted for this particular hmm. Holmes film okay and apparently that, that film London by Night is well worth seeing. Apparently, quite okay. good, okay. and it's one that I'll admit that I've not seen yet. But I now will be. I'll be seeking it out and hoping to check it out pretty soon because it sounds like a winner, and I'm a fan of Leo G. Carroll. And uh, mm-hmm. the 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 creepy thing is, uh, Leo G. Carroll as a young man kind of feels like I'm going to be watching something weird mm-hmm. because I'm used to him you being yeah, middle aged yeah, but yeah. looking ancient, uh-huh. which uh-huh. is you know the mid '60s. Right. But, yeah, there we go. No. This is so weird because I'm having like a deja vu moment. The guy who plays the fake Q in Get Smart had something to do with this. Well, there were there were several fake Qs in. I mean, oh, wait a minute. Are you talking about like the the main? Oh no, I, I yeah. Now that I think of it, was that actor in Get Smart the TV series? He. Was he somebody who popped up in these films in the forties too? He may have. He may have been. I, yeah. I, I did. I did not think to. I didn't go down the get smart well. I didn't think about it. Oh my goodness! I have to look that up. See what that where that where that that uh, absent brain cell came from. Time for critics' corner. Oh, good. Oh boy. Not always my favorite portion of this show, but it is fun. I thought I always critic criticized it. <laughs> Let's see what they have to say. <laughs> the New York Daily News, May 20th, 1944. Byline Kate Cameron. Three stars. Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce are exceptionally good, and they are supported by a first a first rate cast. Agree there. Can't well, argue. Yeah, true. The New York Herald Tribune, May 20th, 1944. Howard Barnes. The Scarlet Claw makes much of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's celebrated sleuth and puts a clown cap again on Dr. Watson. Hmm. When Holmes bores one and Watson is not even fairly faintly amusing, it is high time to switch to something more substantial in the way of melodrama. It is time, I think, that the whole cycle, the Holmes series, should be dropped. Uh, well, I don't think anyone listened <laughs> to him. No, too much money was being made. Ooh. The Hollywood Reporter, April 24th, 1944. One of the most intriguing, fastest-moving Sherlock Holmes features to date. The story again employing with marked success the background of fog and marshland so characteristic of the Sherlock Holmes tells is exceptionally well-conceived. So this is a vote in the category of, thank God we've moved away from wartime Mm -hmm. drama. Mm -hmm. we moved into Mm -hmm. typical Sherlock Holmes areas. I can agree with that. The New York... Herald Tribune, May 20th, 1944. Another quote from uh, Howard Barnes says, uh, Basil Rathbone plays Holmes with a rather tired approach. Nigel Bruce, whose fine talents are rapidly being buried under the weight of this assignment, does almost almost nothing to enliven the proceedings. 
And rounding us off, oh. the New York Times, oh, yes, May nineteenth, nineteen forty four. Bosley Crowder. You knew it was coming, man. (laughs) Routine. Another in a series of mystery yarns so inferior to Conan Doyle's originals that it isn't even mentionable anymore. Oh, wow. Bosley Crowder. (laughs) Film hater. (laughs) Professional (laughs) film hater. (laughs) So... At least I wasn't that bad. Oh, I know, I know. Well, listen, you're, you're, you're never, never going to undercut the derision slung about by Bosley Crowder. No, no. Trust me. I, can't, I honestly, I do need to, I, I did at one point or another, I was. I ended up reading a, a fair amount of Bosley Crowder's stuff because there was someone else who admired him as much as the same way that yeah, we that do. We do we and there was a, like, a, like a string of some of his reviews from uh, back in the 50s. Uh-huh. And... Uh, I should remember reading some of the reviews of some of some like real classics and yeah. going, shit, he hated everything. <laughs> I mean, was it projected onto a screen? It's garbage. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so we come to the end of the Scarlet Claw. Uh, one that uh, I am I, I, I really do enjoy. I have my problems with, as I've already expressed. Mm-hmm. But they're the problems that I will probably, and this is a big fear that I have, well, I will probably end up having to one degree or another, with more of these films than not as the series continues. In other words, I'm now starting to realize that the nits that I find in this are going to be similarly found in those movies as well. And it's making me a little mm-hmm. concerned yeah. about how much my memories of The House of Fear might mm-hmm. collapse under the weight of how much the reality will be different mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. I examine them carefully. Because in the past, I'm, mm. let's be honest, I've just been able to let these films wash over me. Yeah, yeah. I've not had to really con- concentrate yeah, critically. Break down the exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when you start to examine them, don't get me wrong, it doesn't make me dislike them. I still really enjoy these movies. Mm. But the flaws are standing out for me. Mm. And uh, I hope that doesn't... Oh, the fact that we're finding these nits to pick and that these problems are, are, are something that we're drawing attention to. I hope that doesn't make this less enjoyable a return trip to these movies for people listening to the show. Yeah. If it does, I apologize. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it is a very interesting part of going back to these movies to discover, ah, they're mm-hmm. not they're not the perfect little gems that my memory tells me they are. Mm-hmm. I still love them. Mm-hmm. But they're not exactly what my memory told me they were. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just like that saying, a good a bad day with Sherlock is better than a bad. I mean, a bad day with Sherlock is better than a good day with no Sherlock. So mm-hmm. Sherlock, yeah. Sherlock mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. Right. That's true. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Even if it's Sherlock that uh, that I don't particularly think is great, and mm-hmm. there have been those over the years, mm-hmm. still, you know. Rather have gone through that than not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't agree with the comment that that uh, that Bat Rathbone is like kind of tiredly going through. Oh that. no! But I thought he projected a lot of strength in the in yeah. the uh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in, in this film. I do wonder. I do know that by the end of the series, the last oh, couple yeah. of films, he, he's he, he was he was he was starting to really chafe and wanting to to move on. Mm-hmm. And so I'm beginning to th- I'm beginning to wonder when we get to those last couple of films later on. We'll see how he, what it's going to feel like if 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 mm-hmm. if. Because I've never really thought about it. Because I've never watched these films. And let's be clear. I've never really watched these films in chronological order before. Mm -hmm. It's always been helter-skelter. It's always been, well, which one do I feel like watching right now? Or, oh, I haven't watched this one in a long time. Let's watch Mm -hmm. this one. And so this, going through them chronologically, might 
point us toward an eventual situation where, yeah, Rathbone is kind of getting checked out on this. He's mm-hmm. about had enough. Mm-hmm. But we're not there yet. He's fully engaged here, I think. Well, let me tell you, anything he did as Sherlock Holmes is better than what he did for Fatima. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're talking, you're talking about the, 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 the radio show ads? Uh-huh. Uh, it, he had a whole show. It was oh what? What was the yeah, Fatima? It was it was Basil Rathbone, and he had a radio show, and the sponsor was Fatima, and it's abysmal. Well, what was kind it, of show was, like it? Talk show what was like it? A talk show or a variety yeah. show? Uh, I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. It's 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 just I can't remember exactly. And Fatima is the, the well, they were the cigarettes, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I've only. Had heard a couple of them, but I, I not, not enough to keep listening. Mm-hmm. No, it's like they were so bad. I only listened wow. to one or two. Wow. It was like a mystery, and I, I think I'll have to is let it you just know. Just Basil Rathbone was... solving mysteries, or is it actually like, a, or is he just the host of like you know? I didn't think he was just the host, but okay. it's oh yeah. I was kind of excited there for a second because there was that wonderful radio series uh, called The Price of Fear with Vincent Price playing himself. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. as Vincent Price, you know, in each episode, each episode he would run into some, you know, he would be, he would be somewhere and he mm-hmm. would be t- meeting friends and there would be some mystery involved. There'd be some kind of scary I, thing going I, on. I Price remember. of Fear was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was some something like that, but mm-hmm. I can't remember. But it's not, okay. It, it's it's not one of his better. <laughs> ah, good to know. Thanks. Yeah. Or bad, bad to, to know. know. <laughs> yeah, bad to know. Mm-hmm. I think we're gonna go, we're gonna fall on that side mm-hmm. of things. <laughs> Nevertheless. Um, that will uh, wrap up our discussion of The Scarlet Claw. Remember, if you have any comments to make about these films or any of the Sherlock Holmes films that we'll be covering here as part of the 1940s Universal Horror series that we're doing, the the email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. I double-clutched there. I didn't, I didn't mm. know what I was doing. I, was, <laughs> I started, stopped, and then realized that I was stripping gears. Uh, thebloodypit at gmail.com is where to write to us. Thank you very much in advance. Uh, also, we should point out that the next film in this, this series takes us away from Sherlock Holmes. We, uh, we stay in 1944. Mm-hmm. Troy, take a guess. What's our next film in this 1940s Universal Ooh. Horror Series? Oh, 44. Um, we, haven't, we haven't been there in a while. I'll give you that as a hint. Oh, okay. Well, then is it... Uh, this makes me think it's a, a mummy film, maybe. No, but you're close. But it, oh, so it is in Universal Monsterland, though. Yes, it is. Well, the next it film have to up? be House of Frankenstein. No, no it's not. Really oh, I am We are ahead. still in June of 1944 with The Invisible Man's Revenge. Oh, so we really... Okay, an Invisible Man universe. Mm, okay. It is yes, kind of like a mummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's our next film the, when Troy and I sit down to talk about these movies again <laughs> which is by the way I've never seen this I've never seen Invisible you've never Man seen oh wow I'm not well I'll have to admit that it's one of my least revisited of these it's one that it took me forever to see yeah because it's not one that I ever saw on VHS I didn't see it yeah. until it came to uh, yeah. to digital to DVD I believe yeah uh, when it was much easier because they were packaging them all together. Yeah. And I've, I've I've been holding back on no, you know, ever since we started this series, I've got the Invisible Man collection there, but I've just been holding back on watching this one. Yeah. Just, you know, waiting till the time came, you know. But yeah, okay. Well, I can give you good news about it. Oh, good. Evelyn Anchors. All right. Gail Sondergaard. Oh man. Cool. Ooh. John Carradine. 
Wow. Okay. Ooh. Cool. Well, yeah. Think to about that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Plus a number of familiar faces that you'd know, including mm-hmm. the guy who played uh, Lord Penrose's butler. Oh, Dre- oh the guy that played Dre- Ian, Ian Wolf. He's yeah, he's yeah. in it as oh, well. Yeah. There's, you know, believe me, there's there's yeah. faces you're going to recognize. Good, good. Hard not to. So the next time, The Invisible Man's Revenge, we will be talking about that the next time Troy and I sit down to discuss this. And uh, once again, just want to thank everybody for uh, listening to the show. Also, thank you, Beth, yeah, for coming thanks, and Beth. talking Sherlock Holmes with us. So welcome. And I guess is the next one, the next Holmes one going to be House of Fear? Is that the next one in the series? Oh my or? goodness. No, it's uh, Pearl of Death, I think, isn't it? Is Pearl of Death? I See, I have good memories of Pearl of Death now, and I start to I, I start to become paranoid. The, the guy who played Hammer, the I mean, the guy who played Ramson Hammer, he's in a bunch of these. Oh, yeah. He was in like mm-hmm. five of them. Mm-hmm. Everyone, thank you once again, and we will talk to you again soon. <laughs>